This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey there, welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, uh, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies would normally be bringing you bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes, but unfortunately one of our foremost political nobodies <laughs> is off this week. Uh, Noon had to pull out at the last minute unfortunately, but um, luckily we have a very robust replacement on call living in my very own house. Welcome back to the show, fan favorite, Holly. Robust, huh? Yeah, you know. That's the best descriptor you could come up with? I think that's a good descriptor of a co-host. What about super hot? What about really popular? What about cool and edgy? I mean, you already have those in the chamber ready to go, so you don't need me to list them. Yeah, yeah. You were were cocked and ready. Um, Yes, Holly's going to join me on the show this week. She's coming in completely cold, pretty much. I have done all the the reading uh, and research. It's No Knowledge November. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And, you know, look, it's been a patchy few weeks for the show, and it's going to continue to be patchy. It's coming up to the end of the year. You know, everyone's tired. Everyone's busy. This is how it is. And um, unfortunately, the podcast, the world of podcasts is not exempt you know? It's a mess. Come on. Everyone knows November and December is a mess, even if we hadn't just gotten out of lockdown and like been trying to find our feet in terms of managing time. Uh, I mean, I think, mess is a good description. Yeah, it's the fine. the last few weeks. You've got to do it in the mess. Just, in, it's all right. In news and politics. Uh, before we dive into uh, that, the, the hot steaming mess that is Australian news and politics, I want to send a big shout out to our new patrons, Lucy, thank you so much for signing up. Sorry we didn't shout you out last week. And James as well. Thank you so much. And also, uh, lots of love to Ange, who upgraded their pledge. Thanks, um, Ange. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so over on Patreon for as little as $1 a month, which gets you a monthly bonus episode plus other cool stuff. You can do that over on Patreon.com uh, forward slash Ospol Snackpod. But in the meantime, why don't we dive into our first little bites of news? Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no. Take it away at once. I love it. You really you workshopped it. Like that thing, on... Yeah, we did. Based on fan feedback and also Holly feedback yeah. as well. Holly is a big Jeeves and Worcester fan, but that's not what we're talking about. Here's what, here's what we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the fact Scott Morrison got a haircut this week. Um, oh. Which, uh, as... That's probably for the best. <laughs> Well, as any ABC uh, journalist would tell you, that means that we're in election season now um, because prime ministers... Do they only get haircuts once every three years? They only get haircuts when they're very distressed. It's actually not funny at all to post pictures of them <laughs> making spring rolls in public. Now, when when, when, uh, politi- oh, when people... I know like, nothing about politics. <laughs> when, <laughs> well, you've come to the right place. Um, when someone like Scott Morrison... <laughs> makes a point of letting the press know where and when he's getting uh, what could lo- very loosely be described as a haircut, it means that he's starting to, you know, it's the beginning of the campaign trail. At least this is what Noon tells me ABC journalists tell him. So, right. Yeah. I just have to point out, you have very, like, long, luscious hair, mm. and 
that came off a little smug. Like some people get haircuts, their hair is just it's less uh, good and noticeable. I, I'm officially happy to lord it over Scott Morrison <laughs> with my, with my long and uncut lockdown hair. Uh, fuck you, Scott. You're never going to look as good as me. It's true. You look beautiful. Thanks, bub. Uh, the other thing we're not going to talk about this week, because it happened last week, and it was very rude. The timing of this was very rude. But um, perennial uh, dipshit Victorian <laughs> liberal MP Tim Smith uh, crashed his pickle mobile and spilled <laughs> uh, pickleback juice all over the streets of... Oh, I can't even remember the suburb. Maybe it was Maidstone? Um but yeah, he 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 was he 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 was drink driving. He was like healthily more than double the legal blood alcohol. Oh, limit. Yeah. right. Okay. He was like, I knew that had happened, but I was like, you know, it's not it's not. I call me crazy. It's not the biggest deal when someone is caught you, drink driving at like point oh six or something. You're like, yeah, guy, okay, like don't. But the technical term is completely shit faced. Sozzled. He was. He was on the sozzled. tiles. He like. He literally like destroyed a stop sign, which was um, catnip to the twi- to the boomers on Twitter. Well, not boomers. I guess Gen X is on Twitter who love a, a good tism reference. And he like busted into a house. I think he broke down a fence or something. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Hmm. Uh, he's not going to be recontesting his seat of Q at the next state election. So, um, well, it just sounds like he's having a fine time. Like he doesn't. Whatever. He doesn't care. He's just... Well, I'm sure that uh, before long he'll have a senior fellowship at the Institute yeah. of Public he doesn't, Affairs. He so... doesn't seem worried. Yeah, I didn't think he needs to, you know. Chicken mm. loaf never goes out of style. Uh, <laughs> that's a callback to a couple of weeks ago, um, for those of you who <laughs> listen to the show. Yeah, why would I... <laughs> oh, <rude. laughs> uh, okay! I have to listen to you all the rest of the time. That's true. Why don't we move on now to Shitpost of the Week? Uh, yes, this week we have uh, quite a shit post for Shitpost of the Week. A good spot for? Yeah, why don't you uh, describe that one for us? Okay, okay. It is Scott Morrison talking to the man from the project. Waleed Ali. Okay. Um, out of all the lies you've told since being PM, which one is your favorite? That's Waleed Ali. And Scott Morrison says, I don't tell lies. And then Oli says, that's my favorite too. Yeah. That's political comedy, uh, which is what our listeners come to the show for. This shitpost of the week, Leia Persist, goes to Noon's mum, Sue. Oh, it's definitely a winner then. Yeah, it's a big winner. Uh, Noon's mum, Sue texted this to Noon via MMS, which of course stands for Mum Mean Shit. Did she make the little speech bubbles like on the annotate oh, I images didn't, thing? I didn't or? think Sue actually memed this from scratch. Oh. But uh, it's it's got big sort of family group text yes, energy, that's, right? Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is very topical because people do really like talking about how Scott Morrison is just very obviously a fucking liar. And um, Noon isn't here, but luckily I have access uh, to his thoughts via our shared Twitter account. So Mm. let me just read Noon's analysis on this uh, situation here. It's amazing that even within the political community, one fundamentally based on dissembling and manipulation, that Scott Morrison has managed to get a reputation for lying. That is impressive. Yeah. 
Yeah. I do know, think about it's that. It's a when crowded I go, field. Yeah. Politicians who lie. There is an established amount that you're just supposed to almost. Right. Like, and it's really like given. the 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 absolute most like base level of any kind of political awareness that anyone develops stuff you know, that you find on like mugs at a two dollar shop is like politicians lie yeah this is <laughs> most people's first step into uh political awareness and uh and yet morrison manages to make a name for himself you know and people it's say the that, marketing he, thing. that he's faceless he doesn't stand out well, <laughs> well that's it you know he's crafted <laughs> he's immaculately crafted this public image uh of someone who just literally cannot stop himself telling very easily disprovable lies. I mean, have you ever lied? It's fun. Yeah, I mean, if he he enjoyed it, that'd be another thing, you know. (laughs) If he he was having fun. But no, there's no, you know, jouissance in his lies. (laughs) You can't see the joie de vivre in his eyes when he's telling a stinker. There's no no lying sparkle. Yeah. So, look... I kind of resent having to talk about this because it's something that I, I don't know, I, I just really, all this stuff, like, we know politicians lie, it we know Scott like Morrison news, is a liar. No, but, and there has been so much media attention over the last two weeks uh, focused on Scott Morrison's lying. Well, the specific- campaign trailer starting, the haircut. Well, that's it. It's, it's but even pre-haircut. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the kind of big blow up was at, uh, you know, COP26, the big international climate conference that was happening over the last couple of weeks, and there was a blow up there between Scott Morrison and Emmanuel Macron, the uh, French. I don't know. I don't know if they have. I know they have a prime minister and a president. I'm assuming he's the PM. Whatever. I don't care. I don't care which one he is. But he's the big French guy, and you know we tore up that ninety billion dollar. Jeff, prime minister. Je- <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I would be the prime minister. <laughs> that was. Je m'appelle Fruitcake. Yeah. <laughs> Um, superlative <laughs> uh, jokes on Ospot Snackpod. Um, you know, we recently tore up that ninety billion dollars submarine deal with France, mm. and uh, France is pissed about it because they wanted that sub money. Uh, and essentially, exactly. Um, I'm presuming that's why they signed the deal in the first place. <laughs> and Macron basically publicly called morrison a liar because morrison had been like oh no i totally told the french that we were gonna stiff them on this deal and macron was I did like read this yeah and he was like no you didn't he was like mm. no 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 um <laughs> oh god this is so friendly geordies of me i gotta stop it i just the it's so yeah, tempting to really do a french accent dipped into the french yeah it's hard not to uh i, I mean, mean we're that's coming off top, bread and butter you know, when it comes to podcasting we're so. not professional youtubers you know yeah. we can't we can't stack up <laughs> So, you know, the, the media's been making hay out of this. They devoted literally, like, half an hour to talking about Morrison and Macron, you know, bitching at each other about text messages on Insiders last week. It was like... Anyway. He's Petty a, shit. He's a liar. He's, Morrison's also been uh, lying about uh, electric vehicles. You know, he... Submarines. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a trend emerging here. Uh, he loves lying about vehicles in general. Uh, yeah, like, uh, look, it's boring. I'm not even going to go into the details, but Morrison, you know, he just, he says things, they are publicly recorded, published widely, and then later he's like, I never said that. And then everybody's like, it's literally written down in every major news outlet in the country that you did say this exact thing. The funny thing to me is that he says, I didn't say that. Because, like, you could always say, I thought this other thing. 
like... Well, he's becoming more careful with his language. And but so, he's, he, se- like, several times will be like, no, that's not what I said. Yeah, ex- exactly. Which, like, you can get and pinged yeah. on, right? But, so all of this conversation in the media, I mean, it's becoming more and more, uh, like, trendy to call Morrison a liar or question how truthful he's being in the media because, like, you know, he was publicly called out by another world leader. That's an opening, right? Sure. Anyway, this all has Even culminated to this week, Morrison doing a softball interview on the Melbourne conservative talkback radio station 3AW with uh, Neil Mitchell, I believe, who's one of their, you know, um, big boy hosts. And, yeah, Mitchell asked him, like, have you ever lied? <laughs> well, in public life, and Morrison responded, I don't believe I have. No. Um, which, like, I don't believe I have. It makes it much harder to disprove, right? It's very like. It has, I guess, it has but the vibe it's still of like, no We can have one. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. But it still just is of no interest or importance. Basically, yeah. <laughs> like, like, either I say, way. <laughs> I resent having to talk about it, and yet I put it into my own podcast for reasons that I oh, you hate don't fully understand. Yeah. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, when when New was like, my mom sent me this meme, I was like, we have to put it on the show. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm going to um, come in and deem it valid. Excellent. Valid choice. Uh, so that's shit post of the week. Why don't we move on now? I've got a brand new sting to play you. Ooh. Now what starts with the letter C? <laughs> Cookie starts with C. Let's think of other things that starts with C. Uh, uh, who cares about the other things? That's right, Cookie Monster. Who cares about the other things? This week is a. I'm introducing a new segment. It's called Things That Start With The Letter C That No One Gives A Fuck About. And this week, we're talking about climate change. Oh, <laughs> God, really? Are you coming along for the ride on this one? Yeah, yeah, just you like... you going to work with me? Okay, but it was a lot to take in. <laughs> there was the Cookie Monster voice in my ears. There was... Holly gets thrown off, I think, by, um, you know, anybody doing a voice that she's not expecting. I mean, we all love Cookie Monster, but one must admit, if you're not expecting his voice, it's pretty... Uh, it can be a lot. It's, all, it's almost aggressive. Well, hopefully next week, um, when we talk about potentially something different that starts with C that no one gives a fuck about, uh, you'll be more ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Noon is off this week, um, but he did manage, in the midst of whatever he's emergency... He's climate prince. Yeah, that's right. He's a climate prince in, in the midst of whatever emergency he was going that meant that he absolutely, in no, under no circumstances, could come on the show, still managed to record an entire segment for us. Mm. So, technically, this is also a potluck segment. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Take I it love away. It. It's so relaxing. It is. It's a great snack. It's one of my, mm. one of some of my finest work. Take it away, Noon. Hey, Zach and Holly. It's Noon here. Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, unless I made the same joke on a previous episode that Holly guessed it on, but I don't think I did. Uh, thanks for uh, filling in for me while I'm off this week, Holly. Um, but I thought I would uh, do a little potluck for everybody uh, about climate change. Because um, obviously, you know, the entire world is watching the Olympic Games of climate bullshit in Glasgow at the moment. And, uh, I, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um all of the world leaders have left now, so it's just the policy wonks still, uh, you know, remaining there. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we know Morrison committed to net zero carbon by 2050 uh, and released the plan, 
which, as we discussed, is essentially a series of percentages with question marks next to them. Um, and the government has been pushed to release the modelling behind this extremely vague plan, and even some moderate Liberal MPs have been making public comments, like Katie Allen and Trent Zimmerman have been calling for stronger stronger targets and modelling release and so on. So the government paid McKinsey to do the modelling, despite the CSIRO applying. It's almost as if they wanted a bunch of dodgy American corporate hatchet men to produce modelling that means we can keep using fossil fuels and don't have to do anything, uh, instead of getting a fairly reliable Australian organisation who cares about science and might produce inconvenient findings. Hmm. Nah, that can't be it. Um, Yeah, and so they waited until all the leaders had left Glasgow to release this modelling because they know it's a bunch of nonsense. It's barely more info than the plan. Um, So I read, well, I've skimmed a solid 70 pages of this 100-page report. Um, It's mostly just talking about them writing it. (laughs) Well, this is how we wrote this page that you're reading right now. And here's how to read this diagram on the next page. Um, but yeah, so uh, the the offsets that we're going to get, sorry, the, the reduction in carbon emissions that we're going to get by 2050 are going to come 40% from the technology investment roadmap, 15% from global technology trends, 15% from further technology breakthroughs, 20% that we've already done, and then another 10 to 20% through offsets. So that's about 70% through technology, uh, and then the rest through offsets, or what we've already done. So what technology is it that the government is talking about in their plan? Uh, The main ones are clean hydrogen and efficiency gains in steel and aluminium production. We've talked about clean hydrogen before. Maybe, uh, Zach, you can remind listeners about clean versus green versus blue, but we can do that another time. Uh, Yeah, and efficiency gains in steel and aluminium production using hydrogen is actually a legitimate thing. So that's kind of a real thing to some extent. Uh, But a lot of it is also carbon capture and storage, which again, maybe, maybe we can do a a, a, a climate episode at some point, but it's basically total bullshit that has been about 10 years away from being viable for about 50 years now. Um, one thing that I particularly didn't like in this report, the modeling, is that the two scenarios that McKinsey looked at are, one, what if we did nothing but the rest of the world does things? And two, what if we also do something? And basically like, well, they're both fine, but we can make more money with net zero. Um which is just, like, completely gross, misses the whole point of, like, what the problem is and what we need to do about it, if you know what I mean. Um, just, like, the grossest liberal bullshit of, like, don't worry, the money will be fine. Um, and just as a little quote, like, they, they're clearly planning on doing a lot more coal and gas mining. Um, and there's this one quote, uh, the modelling finds that all major export sectors grow to 2050, with mining up around 5%. Within the mining sector, however, the value of coal mining is projected to decline. Don't worry, though. That, that's me editorialising. Don't worry, though. The shift is projected to occur over several decades, not as a sudden shock. Over time, this results in a rebalancing of the mix in mining activity with an increase in gas. Oh, sorry, the, I edited the end of that quote poorly. But basically, it's like, yeah, gas and mineral exports are going up and iron ore exports, so... Cool, don't worry, guys. We can keep uh, running roughshod over indigenous sovereignty and mining gas uh, as long as we something-something climate policy. Um, Also this week, the government has announced an electric vehicles plan, an EV plan, um, and it's basically funding for around 50,000 charging stations around the country. And honestly, I think this is a really good policy. Uh, It's not enough. That's 
definitely true. But charging stations are actually a huge barrier to people buying electric vehicles. So I think this is a really good first step. Unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be the whole <laughs> policy. Um, and, you know, the industry has come out very hard against this, saying it's not it, it, it's basically a nothing plan and that affordability of the cars is the main issue. And there's a lot been written and said this week about the sort of trout population issues in terms of overseas car manufacturers not sending their stock to Australia because no one's buying it. And I think that, yeah, as I say, clearly we need more than just this, but I think Honestly, this is a pretty good policy um, as a starting place, and I'm moderately impressed by it. So there you go. There's my hot take that everyone can roast me for. But don't worry, the government's still being complete evil assholes. They're putting in $500 million for the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to pay for carbon capture and storage projects. Um, so without getting into it too much, because I'm already well over the limit that we set our guests for potlucks, but luckily, uh, you know... I run this show. Um, But basically the CEFC, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, is a government-funded organization that puts in money to clean energy projects to make them more financially viable for the private sector to invest in. And this will require legislation to allow the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to finance energy that is not clean. They will literally be paying for fossil fuel projects, but because the letters CCS, Carbon Capture and Storage, have been attached to the project. They're like, oh, it's clean energy now. So yes, this will literally require the law to be changed to make it legal for the CEFC to pay for fossil fuels. And sadly, it looks like Anthony Albanese and the Federal Labor Party will roll over and support this legislation. And this is some real thin end of the wedge shit, because once the legislation comes in, it's going to be open slather as far as I think. Uh, as far, yeah, that's that's my guess. The, they will start paying for just straight-up gas mines because, oh, it's less carbon-intensive than coal, therefore it's clean, um, and other things like that. So, gross. Just before we end, there's this other issue about offsets, and this, honestly, is crucial to any plan. Um, uh, like, on some level, it's not really a plan to change our carbon emissions because it is just like, well, let's keep doing the same and we'll pay to get rid of a few of them later. Um, But we need to do that because even if we stopped all emissions literally today, we would still shoot well past the two degrees of warming that would result in massive runaway positive feedback loops and make climate change just destroy the uh, human civilization. Um, So we do need to do offsets and drawdowns uh, regardless of any other policy. But um, unfortunately, it's not going to be on the industrial scale that is going to be necessary for it. So anyway, there you go. That's the government's shitty uh, uh, climate policy. Um, if you want some good bedtime reading to fall asleep to, try reading the, 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 the uh, modeling. It's dead boring. Uh, cool. That's going to do me. Sorry that this is, yeah, roughly two to three times longer than... Well, I know we say keep it to a minute. It's eight times longer. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, anyway. Thanks, uh, and thanks again, Holly, for hopping in at last minute to uh, do the show. Um, and thanks, listeners. I'll catch you next week for our show then. Crunch, crunch. Oh, bittersweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's almost like he was here with us. Uh, uh, telling us the worst news of all time. Yeah, uh, and I didn't really, like, explain beyond irritation uh, at Morrison being, you know, already obviously a liar and it not being a new thing. 
um, you know, why I resented the conversation about Macron and Morrison taking up so much media space. But, you know, it was happening against the backdrop of Australia, like, once again, very publicly reaffirming its position as an absolute climate vandal on a global scale. And while this is happening, and they're like, you know, this bullshit modeling is being released that contains nothing, you know, there's like all this conversation about, oh, but he leaked a text message. He's such a shady guy. And he is, and it's fun, but this stuff is much, much worse and more important. And it was quite, I don't know, it, it really makes me feel like I sometimes have lost touch with reality like looking yeah, but at to climate report reporting on that and present analysis about it you'd have to read it you'd have to like <laughs> i'm presuming at least skim do, skim things and do things you know you just have to read a couple of texts to report on that whole other that's thing that's true and, um, and hire a body language expert Oh, yeah. look at his shifty, <laughs> the way that he's fidgeting his fingers. Anyway, look, there has been some good reporting on the climate stuff as well. Obviously, you know, there's a mix. But anyway, my po- my, love, my broader point here was that I look at the report, I look at a lot of reporting around climate change. I see a total lack of urgency. I see, you know, politicians from the National Party getting these completely like free pass interviews where they just fucking lie about the fact that they are condemning us to a world which will be totally uninhabitable i and i like i'm looking at these people and thinking you have so much pain and misery on your heads Hmm. and these guys are just walking into news studios sitting down for like a chatty interview with a radio host and i'm like what the fuck is going on but thankfully i have a little bit of news this week that made me feel like there are other people out there who are Kind, who are doing something about this. So I wanted to talk a little bit, while we're on the subject of climate, about Blockade Australia, or to use uh, the weak pun that I've uh, put in the title of this, of this episode, Blockade Chocolate. We're going to have a block of chocolate. I think it's a good pun. Thanks, Barbara. You know, it's not our weakest, you know? No, by no stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, this activist collective called Blockade Australia have been shutting down one of the world's largest coal ports in Newcastle, in New South Wales. And that's on the land of the Awabakal and Warami peoples. They've been using a bunch of different direct action tactics to shut down rail lines to this coal port. They've been doing stuff like hanging off bridges, uh, parking cars on train tracks, climbing onto freight carriages. Uh, there have been over eight separate actions over the past week. So this is like... And like, they park the car on the train track, but they're like... They're locked inside, like people. Yeah, the guy was... Because they could was, just... If it was just a car, they just... Well, that's right. He The, the car was reinforced from the inside, and the guy had locked himself into a hole in the ground underneath the car, so, like, he couldn't easily be moved. Um, Extravagant. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it's like, this is serious direct action. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously, months and months and months in the planning... Uh, really well executed. They cause massive dif- disruptions. Um, and you know it's working because the Daily Telegraph wrote an article about it, which is essentially uh, climate denialist media bingo, where every single line that gets trotted out against climate action mm. is hit one after the, the other. We've got, what about the economic cost? What about regular people? Oh, let's get a quote from a politician to condemn them. And let's also interview the business community. Oh, don't forget... 
Oh, right after we're getting back on our feet after COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, uh, economic recovery. I got a couple of quotes here from the article. It was just, they were just a little bit too juicy for me to not read some out. So it opens with, anti-coal activists are costing the economy millions of dollars by crippling the Hunter's Rail Network with a series of stunts. Ding! The actions of the group have drawn a fierce rebuke from Premier Dominic Perrottet, who said there were, quote, many ordinary people who were just trying to earn a living. Imagine getting rebuked by Verity. <laughs> all the oh. people have been so disrupted by this behavior. What about, you know, Joe Average? He's just trying to walk down to his local coal port and get a cup of coffee. And these <laughs> guys are locking themselves. <laughs> just want to get a piping hot cup of coal. You know, as every Australian does. Uh, they also have, they interview and quote, the CEOs of two separate rail freight companies, which is amazing. And this first one here, uh, so this, the Paul Scurra, he's the CEO of rail freight operator Pacific National. He reckons that the protests have caused 20 services to be cancelled, laden with coal and grain, and each of those services is worth about a million dollars in export value, which, like, on the one hand, do I take the word of this guy uh, that it's been that disruptive. But on the other hand, I really want to believe that like, Hey, what you're telling me then is that this is extremely effective and more mm. of it should happen. Uh, but this quote from him is, is, is a perler at a time when Australia needs to recover from the economic shocks of the coronavirus, mm. coronavirus pandemic ding and associated lockdowns. One of the most critical rail freight networks in this country, the Hunter Valley system has been brought to a complete standstill because of the dangerous protests from environmental extremists. Uh, he goes on to call them radicals as well. And maybe that's true, but it also shouldn't be. It shouldn't be radical or extremist to say, please stop doing the thing <laughs> that most quickly causes climate change because it's really, really important that we stop doing this. I just don't think it should be an extreme position, but unfortunately, industry and government are so in lockstep that it takes people literally like strapping themselves to fucking train lines to make a dent in the and public conversation. They just, I feel like people get away with, say, extremists so easily because it, to most people, you're like, yeah, I could never do that. Well, that's I'm not going to sin, I can't get arrested. I can't afford to have that happen in my life. Right. And so the behavior seems extreme, but... But it's an extreme situation. But the position is an extreme. No. They, they make it sound like the position is extreme. The political position should be and is gen generally held. Most yes. people think that we should take action on climate but change. They love like 80% to, but of people. But I feel people. like they use it, like the, the way they use it to make what the actions, like, right. uh, like is synonymous with the position. Totally. And like, it's also this, this sleight of hand where they have put these activists in the position of needing to take extreme action in order to have an effect. It's the fact that you will not stop mining, burning, exporting coal that means that extreme action needs to be taken. Hmm. And suddenly it's the fault, oh, they're locking themselves under train lines. They're so extreme. Yeah. Like, if you want to talk about extreme, let's talk about, as Noon said, positive feedback loops. Let's talk about fucking melting ice caps. Let's talk about mass extinction events. You want to talk about extreme. Anyway, off on a bit of a tangent there. Blockade Australia have been posting pictures of each of the actions, uh, along with quotes from a bunch of the people who've been involved. Um, and I wanted to quote a couple of cool ones that came across my social media platforms. 
Here's one from Clancy, who spent two hours suspended from a rail bridge. He says, at this point in time, any type of protest that is merely focused on dissent is a death sentence. We need to be materially disruptive, as vested interest doesn't shift just because you ask it to. Makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's one from Zelda, who climbed literally on top of a coal train and started shoveling coal onto the ground. She said, Australia is killing our planet, burning our forests, poisoning our rivers and oceans, murdering and dispossessing First Peoples. Australia is the liberal criminal conspiracy that is running the world. Uh, So, yeah. Sorry? Did you say running? Yeah, running. Or potentially, yeah, I think, you know, Australia is the, uh, you know, Australia represents the capitalist colonial right. extractivist project, right? Okay. I'm assuming that's what, that's what that quote sure. means there. Uh, and as you mentioned, Holly, like, you know, getting arrested is a big deal. These people are basically putting their quality of oh, life on the line. Sacrifice. It is. And the, like, these activists have already been hit with consequences from the local courts. Um, I know we talked, you know, we've talked about in previous episodes that there is, there's issues there with people who consider, who are considered to be arrestable and. Right. So well, there's, see, yeah. It, we don't have time to go into. Well, no, I mean, look, talked about it before. I do think it's, there's a distinction between, for example, Extinction Rebellion's technique of encouraging mass arrests and like, you can't participate in an action unless you're willing to get arrested. That's kind of like, you know, that's what we're all going to go and do. The action is the arrest in that case. Yeah, they, but this, this is, is like, different, and this is months of of planning and right. people getting you know meaning that they're like not affairs are in order, but essentially that their affairs are in order. like they are they have thought about. They this. know that it's going to happen. They're well set up to do it. They have you know a support structure in place. It's a considered action, and also blockade Australia. You know, having gone through their website and their communications. Their politics is rooted in a strong anti-colonial politic as well. Really? There is an awareness of racial justice in there that I think a lot of people uh, would argue is lacking from a lot of ex- uh, Extinction Rebellion actions. Um, so I think that it's fair to draw a distinction there. Um, plus, these guys are actually literally physically disrupting yes. the coal mining operations. It's like, you know, the, the arrest is un- is an unfortunate sort of with a relatively small amount of people right like literally like each of these actions was one or two people you know physically there obviously there's a team of people who planned and organized this but literally one person in a car there they're bringing the entire sort of what we need is like heist movies that are cool but like (laughs) you know because i feel like environmental extremists are always the villains they're always terrorists we just need some like you know you son of a bitch i'm in type (laughs) films to like really that's a great idea yeah um their pr you know totally well if you want to write that script listener uh hit us up we'll do what we can to help you out yeah um so yeah some of these activists are already suffering legal consequences uh local courts are already punishing them with corrections orders that prevent them from participating in any more direct action they're getting taken to jail if they don't sign they're getting coerced by the cops you know so huge huge solidarity with these staunch activists this is a really fantastic inspiring action and uh you know it's just something that we need so much more of so uh, Blockade Australia, their next big uh, action is going to be held in Sydney in June next year. You can find out how to get involved on their Facebook page and also on their Telegram channel. And the uh, the collective also has a fundraiser link, uh, which we have contributed to as a show, and we would encourage you to do so as well if you've got the funds. Uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the description. I mean, 
for police fines. <laughs> I reckon pay fines would probably be a large part of what yeah. that fund will go to. Yeah. Uh, they also uh, give 10% of their proceeds, the proceeds from that fundraiser to pay the rent. So, you know, these guys, they put their bodies and their money and their lives where their mouth is and um, so much respect for that. Yeah. Good job, guys. <laughs> yeah, solidarity. Uh, all right, let's move on now to uh, our first station story and I'll give a warning here for this next segment that we're going to use the name of an indigenous man who has died. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, we have to talk about, again, indigenous deaths in custody this week. There have been two um, in New South Wales uh, over the last week. Um, so the first that we're going to talk about is a, a man named Stanley Russell. He's a 46-year-old Gomoroi man. He was shot at his aunt's house in northwestern Sydney. His parents, Ted and Helen, found out about this when they saw it. Uh, on the TV news, which is uh, such a shocking detail of this story. Uh, so apparently uh, cops went to Stanley Russell's aunt's house with a warrant, with a warrant for Russell's arrest. They claimed that he was armed when they arrived uh, and he was shot and killed. Uh, the family has the been hand, asking... Hand weapons, not, not guns. Yeah, no, not with a firearm. I think the cops said that he had an axe and a knife. Um, the family has been asking to see uh, body camera footage from the police. You know, shit. But the cops basically have re- been refusing to answer questions about whether or not that footage exists, whether or not it will be released and accessible to the family. Um, another really sort of tragic bit of context to this story is that Stanley Russell's brother, Edward, who is uh, Ted and Helen's only other biological son, died by suicide in prison in 1999. So both of their biological sons died in police in, in custody. Uh, here's a quote from The Guardian. In 2014, in sentencing Stanley Russell to jail, a New South Wales district court judge found that he had a history of drug addiction and had been deeply affected by his brother's death. And this is how that, you know, this is how systemic racism functions, right? Yeah. You, you know, one member of, of a family is racialized, you know, and criminalized and dies in custody as a result. And that psychological damage goes on to, you know, destroy the mental well-being of other people in the family and in many ways is a contributor to uh, another member of the family ending up dead, you know, yeah. killed by police. Um, and I've got a quote here um, from Ted and Helen Russell that I thought... Um, that, that, that I'd like to read out. We have already been to Helen back during the investigation into Edward's very avoidable death in custody. Now we have to go through the same pain and trauma all over again. Given what we know currently about how Stanley died, we have questions about whether police failed in their duty of care to him too. For 30 years, we have struggled to help stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. We have now lost both our sons in New South Wales custody. The Royal Commission's key point about ensuring an active duty of care has been repeatedly ignored. So there is now uh, pressure, obviously, from the community and also from New South Wales Labor, uh, you know, pressure to on New South Wales to police to hold a transparent review as soon as possible and provide answers to the family. Um, it's obviously early days at this stage, so we'll um, be following that story as it develops and, and let you know if there are any uh, you know, if and when any answers become available. Um, 
Uh, the second death in custody this week um, that we're going to talk about is an Aboriginal man who died in Cessnock Correctional Centre, uh, I mean, which is a term I hate, Cessnock Prison, uh, in the Hunter region of New South Wales. So there's really not many details about this death um, so far because the matter is still before the coroner, which sort of ties up people's ability to speak about it um, publicly. Uh, so we don't even know the name of this man. But what we do know is is the second death of an Indigenous man at this prison in just this year alone. And the other really tragic, well, the other really horrible bit of context for this story is that this death happened literally the day before the ceremonial opening of a new wing of this prison. This man dies and the next day they're literally having members of the state parliament come through and officially open. Oh, we've got more room to incarcerate I'm sorry. people. What? Is this a ceremonial opening? The opening ceremony for for this new wing of the prison. Because it's an amazing economic opportunity for the state. Think about all the jobs. It's just a horror. All the jobs and growth. Yeah, it's it's absolutely despicable. And, you know, makes it so clear the connection between profit and criminalisation and incarceration. I mean... You, you couldn't make it clearer than that, yeah. you know? Uh, the, the, these they're two not really are, not trying to hide it. No, I mean, they're literally, <laughs> anyway. they're literally celebrating their, their increased capacity mm. to incarcerate and kill people and at much higher rates than, than other parts of the population, Indigenous people. So, yeah, you know, the, I, I, I don't know what more can be said about this that, you know, isn't said every time that these stories come up but we need to look this stuff in the face we need to be honest with ourselves about you know what the the blood that this country is built on and we need to be conscious every day of the fact that colonization of this land and the genocide of indigenous people is an ongoing daily reality it's not a historical a violent reality it's a violent reality exactly um, now let's move on to our positivity corner story, which, um, oh is also a, a little, uh, has some heaviness in it, but, um, is something that is moving in a more positive direction. Positivity corner. Uh, I'll give a content warning at the top of this story for mentions of, of rape and sexual assault. There's not going to be any detail about any, um, particular instances, but that is a part of the story. Uh, we'll put time codes in the show notes if you want to skip over this part. Um, but having said that, this is good news. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about the fact that affirmative consent laws are being progressed in both New South Wales and Victoria, um, which, yeah, puts them really at the forefront uh, of Australia in terms of how the law uh, treats instances of sexual assault. So let's start in New South Wales where uh, proposed changes to the Crime Act have just passed the lower house. Um, and those laws, ba- those changes basically specify that consent to sexual activity would have to be communicated by words or action, where at the moment, you know, it can be assumed, essentially, in the absence of a no, uh, or in the absence of physical resistance. So, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the terminology, like affirmative consent means actually proactively giving consent as opposed to currently where the onus is on 
victim survivors of sexual assault to demonstrate that they effectively uh, refused, you know, uh, sexual interaction or said that they didn't want it. Um, so uh, people accused of sexual assault will have to demonstrate that they've taken reasonable steps to get consent under these changes to the Crimes Act. And here's a quote from the Attorney General. A thought process is not such a step. A reasonable step has to be an act or something said to ascertain the, com the complainant's consent. So currently in New South Wales, if someone says they were sexually assaulted and the person who's been accused of that sexual assault says, oh, I thought I had consent, I was thinking about consent, but didn't actually do anything to get it, that still constitutes reasonable grounds I was for thinking about whether or not they'd consent? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking about consent. Yeah, and we'll get into the particular case that this is sort of, uh, uh, this is talking about, which will probably make some of this stuff a little bit clearer a little, and less abstract. But before we do that, I'll just mention in Victoria, um, where things are not quite as far progressed as they are in New South Wales, where those laws are already being voted on in Parliament. Uh, but here in Victoria, amendments to the Crimes Act will be introduced next year, which will require defendants to confirm they have received consent for sexual activity. So, you know, the idea of these laws is that it's going to put the focus on defendants who are accused of sexual assault to show that they received consent, as opposed to the current system, which focuses on the behavior of the victim survivor. Uh, and these laws in Victoria, there's a couple of other things in them, but the other top line item is that it's going to make stealthing illegal, which is where uh, you... Jesus, they've been talking about making that illegal for years. Yeah. Still hasn't come into effect. No, and look, the fact that, you know, again, this is November. like a, with a lot of positive corner, positivity corner stuff, it's like, oh, okay, it's good <laughs> that you are changing this, but why was that a thing? Uh, stealthing, if you don't know, is... Uh, when you take off a condom without the knowledge of uh, the person that you're having sex with and then continue to have sex with them. And as you say, Holly, this has been, you know, people have been like, this should be a crime for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And But it looks like that's huh. going to be, you know, if these, if these laws are passed, uh, if these uh, changes to the law are passed next year, then it will become a crime. Uh, but so... For a little bit of context, in New South Wales in particular, these changes were sparked in large part by the case of a woman named Saxon Mullins. Do you remember this case? The name is very familiar to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a name that you'd recognize. So she was a victim a survivor of a sexual assault in Sydney in 2013. Um, and I won't go into the details of the case um, because uh, it's horrible. Uh, but the man who raped her was initially convicted by a jury of sexual intercourse without consent, which is the technical definition of the crime. But then this was overturned on appeal in a judge-only decision. And based on this, I, this thing that we were talking about before, that this guy said that he thought that she had consented. Now, if you look into the details of the case, it is very, very, very obvious that she, she didn't. And she, he basically took her silence you know, her stunned, frozen, afraid silence as consent for this, like, horrible situation. Mm. So, you know, this was a case that was sort of, it, it, you know, it was, it was high profile and public. There was a four corner story about it. Mm. Um, and I yes. think it was one of those cases where people were looking at it and being like, it's so obvious that justice wasn't done here. Yeah. And so... That is, you know, uh, you know, Saxon Mullins has become, um, you know, like a prominent advocate 
uh, around these issues. And uh, yeah, it's, it's her case that was sort of the catalyst for a lot of this stuff. Um, so, you know, in a general sense, this is really positive and it is the direct result of sustained advocacy by victim survivors who really need to get the credit for this and be centered in the conversation about it. You know, this isn't governments making these laws better out of the goodness of their hearts or whatever. Even though in, in the case of New South Wales, I think they are going beyond what even like their law reform commission recommended, um, which is positive. But this is the, the result of, you know, advocacy from victim survivors and organizations that support them. So we mentioned Saxon Mullins. She is now the director of advocacy at Rape and Sexual Assault Research Advocacy, RISARA, mm-hmm. which is one of the best organizations on, in the country doing work yeah. around this. Um, Leah from Slutwalk has previously shouted out their resources um, on issues uh, around consent and, and ed- sexual education and that kind of thing. Uh, and Saxon Mullen said uh, on the day that these changes were first introduced in New South Wales a few months ago that it was, quote, a really amazing day we've all waited a really long time for. So, you know, the fact that she feels really positive about this is obviously a fantastic sign. Yeah. Um, there's been positive reception, you know, from other sort of uh, ho- high-profile advocates around this issue. For example, Brittany Higgins. Um, although, I call it a win. Yeah, it's it's right. a win. Um, although, you know, I, I watched an interview with uh, with Saxon Mullins on ABC about this, and, you know, she also acknowledged that while she was really proud that she was able to come forward and have her case sort of be the impetus for this report, reform, uh, you know, she also acknowledged that there were many other victim survivors who wouldn't have been afforded the same opportunities. You know, specifically, she was uh, talking about victim survivors of colour. So there's this... I mean, it's very, you know, and you start to... I don't know how to word this exactly, but I feel like every bit of news about legislation that is supposed to uh, make less rapes happen and uh, make convicting rapists easier is always, like, marred by, like, mm, but what all of the all of the things that you can think of that make you go, yeah, but is that really going to work in this instance and in this instance? Sure. Uh, which makes it, you know, it's very depressing. Uh, but, you know, it can't be helped. But I think what is, like, what I usually take from these kinds of, uh, these kinds of policy changes um, is you know, it takes a really, really, really long time and a lot of little tiny things to, like, shift mm. public perspective yeah. um, and to shift people's... to shift a culture, to shift the way a culture thinks about things. And, you know, it's, like, little... It's, you know, this isn't little, but it's things like this that, it's, you know, it's not perfect, doesn't fix everything, is not going to help a lot of people. <laughs> but... It will, it, it, it all helps, I yeah. think. And it helps to get us to a place where that you could maybe see it helps to bring into like clarity, a society that maybe looks on rape as a problem. Uh- <laughs> yeah. As a problem for the people who are committing it. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, that's kind of the, the best thing about this development is that there is within it this paradigm shift where we know that 
you know, the legal system basically completely fails victims of sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, at every stage of the process, we know that uh, going on trial, uh, going to a trial... Literally is, just reporting. It, it, well, that's it. I mean, a, an abs- a tiny fraction of sexual assaults are reported in the first place. An even smaller fraction are actually resulting charges. You know, we've covered extensively on this show how awful police are at handling yeah. these, these um, you know, these kinds of allegations. And these laws are not going to change the way that cops operate, you know, at a cultural level. But there is contained within them this paradigm shift where the onus is now supposed to be on the people who have been accused of sexual yeah. assault, which has been, you know, this, this absolutely backwards, you know, thing in our legal yeah. system, basically, you know, since it since it was established. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this is like, it's a step in the right direction. It's... It doesn't mean that there isn't a huge more a huge amount of work left to do, um, and as you say, it takes you know a million steps forward in order to kind of to shift a culture. Well, yeah, I mean, consent is, and I don't care what anyone says, consent is complicated, and <laughs> I always try to say that that it's very easy, and there's just there's there's a million and one reasons why to me why that's not true, but. I feel like this is a step in not using the fact that it's complicated to attack victims Mm. as opposed to, like, you know, just do a proper job of investigating a rapist. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the other thing that's being introduced as part of these suggested reforms in Victoria is uh, making restorative justice, like an accessible and mainstream alternative to going to trial. So a lot of, you know, what is horrible and re-traumatizing about the legal process around this, yeah, is the trial. And, you know, the fact, you know, having to tell your story in public to help to a million people, have to relive it, you know, fucking awful, especially considering the current state of the laws around this. Never mind just the disruption to your life. Like, (laughs) just the basic, like, oh, I would like to try and move on, but I have to go and do... One million bits and pieces of right. law shit, and because our courts are so backed up as well, you might be waiting. Oh, for years, years before this goes to trial. And yeah, uh, people might be familiar with um, the author Bree Lee and her book Eggshell Skull, and she kind of uh, details like you know, she goes into a huge amount of detail about how the legal process was just so excruciating and painful for her uh, trying to get any kind of justice around that. And just the endless, like, delays, miscommunications, police losing files, these types, this type of shit. Anyway, part of the, one of the suggested reforms is introducing restorative justice as a kind of, yeah, as an accessible mainstream uh, alternative. Um, so, you know, whether, what forms this would take is unclear to me yet. I have, need to look into it further. But, you know, this basically is a process that ultimately tries to, uh, or supposed to, try to center the needs of the victim survivor in the situation. So you might not necessarily, you know, uh, a victim survivor might not necessarily want to see somebody go to jail, but they might want a chance to communicate about how the assault have negatively affected their life. They might want to get a commitment from the person who assaulted them, 
you know, that they understood why what they did was wrong and that their behavior would change in the future. So that they have some choice about exactly what it's, the, like what the whole goal of going through the legal system, like what that process would even be. Right. Because that is a, like a, yeah, it's a part that is not control. talked about that much is that like, well, you go through all this stuff and the outcomes are this kind of, a, you know, that might not necessarily be what that person is looking for right and especially not going through the process yeah. you know as because we, as we discussed it's horrible so yeah i think that's also a really positive thing um that is that is on the table the idea that yeah basically putting victim survivors of sexual assault in much more control about how uh you know these cases are handled and centering their needs and being able to direct it more themselves you know if that's the out- one of the outcomes of this i think that's uh, a well, great yeah. step forward i think that uh i mean i i say inevitably but it's not I think logically is more the word that the more that kind of the more process that what you can like center victim survivors like uh, like what their goals and their needs are, the more likely it is that that will like create more of it. What did you say before about climate change? Positive feedback loop, like <laughs> yeah, that, a good positive a good positive loop. feedback loop that that starts to feed back into, um, you know. Cultural Project. attitudes around yeah. it, yeah, because the inevitable backlash and, you know, to, to laws like and, this and legislation, yeah, absolutely, because the inevitable backlash to laws like this, I think, is that you know people, are like, oh, it's so complicated. Am I going to have to get people to sign a form or whatever to, in order to get consent? And like, I mean, those are obviously extremely bad faith, gross arguments, but they are widespread. But as, as you say, I think there's an opportunity here for um, you know these this better understanding of how consent works and how, you know, absolutely devastating assault can be, you know, if this stuff starts to get incorporated into the systemic response, then yeah, hopefully you'll start to see it bleed out and permeate into cultural attitudes around it. I mean, that's the, that's got to be the end goal, right? But there's, you know, other systems at play. Punishment is like a very, like, trust me, I'd love to make sure that you know, I don't because I don't believe in prisons. It's very, it's very complicated. Right. You know, like this is the only outcome. Right. Because I don't think yeah. this, you know, eh, that's gonna. We can cut that. That's that's getting too far into another direction. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Right? I Where think it's a like, lot of people It's very struggle. important to treat the the root yes. cause, and that that is the, that's a culture. Yeah. So the cultural shift is like whatever is bricks in the wall to shift the the whole the whole thing. So I I really let it get away from me. Very no, sorry, I'm, everyone. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think I get it. I think the listeners get it. Yeah. Just, it's a bit emotional. It is. It's, you know, it's an extremely loaded subject. Um, but look, to see, you know, any kind of positive uh, action being taken around this by governments at a legislative level, I think is is great. That to me indicate a potential for, for like mental and emotional culture shift. Yeah. Is like, that's what the what is the, the the positivity corner of it all about it to me no doubt uh, cool let's move on now to uh, I think it's our last segment Fashy Australia I'm getting all the hits today <laughs> uh, yeah this is that's a popular one although someone early on said that it should have been Fashy owner which was like hard for me to unhear but I really recorded this thing and it's like I can't be bothered anyway this should be a quick one. Uh, just want to quickly mention, you know, as everybody will be aware, uh, anti-vaxxers have been out in force over the last few weeks across the country. Uh, and literally, as you and I speak right now, Holly, thousands of them are marching through the rain in Melbourne, uh, carrying, for example, 
prop gallows. Still? Yeah. And yeah, no, and it's like a big one, like a lot. A lot. It's a, it's a really Move big on, one. sweeties. Well, that's it because it's like you, you're not protesting lockdowns anymore. I mean, you, you, they're protesting vaccine mandates and they're also protesting these new uh, pandemic powers here in Victoria, which I still need to read up on. I don't know a huge about amount. Uh, I don't know a huge amount about them yet. Um, maybe I've never some... heard of pandemic powers. It well, sounds it's a corny. New, it's a new thing, right? So, because at the moment, basically, the government has been mandating uh, like health directions and that kind of thing under state of emergency powers. But those end after a certain period. I think it's a maximum of like nine months or something. Right. Okay. So part of the rationale for introducing new pandemic powers is that they basically will be able to be used whenever um, there's a pandemic, which now is yeah. forever. And also. Uh, you know, indefinitely. They don't have an end date on them. And this is making a lot of people um, uh, uncomfortable, and that's probably fair. I was going to say, I feel kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, I, look, I, think, <laughs> I, I do think that there are some genuinely fair criticisms of that pandemic legislation. The other thing they do is that they shift some, uh, quite a few powers from this chief health officer over to the premier. And Daniel Andrews, we haven't talked about it a huge amount in this show. Uh, it's like a story that we've almost talked about and then cut a couple of times. But since Andrews came into power in Victoria, he has basically consolidated a huge amount of power around himself and in his office. Mm. And there's this sort of ongoing rolling semi-scandal about the politicization of the public service in Victoria, which is supposed to be this apolitical organization, mm. but has basically been completely uh, filled to the brim with Labour acolytes who are totally loyal to Dan Andrews. So well, that sounds very troubling, Zach. It, I think you should do a segment on it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I will. <laughs> maybe I will. Um, that said, these anti-vaxxers can fucking suck it, and yeah. I don't care about their concerns about this because they're out there breathing unvaccinated particles all over each other, and I don't really want to know their opinions. Yeah. Um, anyway. This was not the point of this segment. The point is, there's anti-vaxxers out there, and in amongst all these anti-vax uh, anti-vax protests, are fucking many literal, actual, real-life, self-confessed fucking Nazis, and many of those Nazis are directing these protests. Why do Nazis not like vaccinations? Do you know? Well, the, I mean, uh, the short answer is that they see a bunch of uh, unhappy gullible, vulnerable people in the anti-vax movement, and they're like, perfect, I'm going to go and turn them into Nazis, uh, which is happening oh. left, right, and center. So, long story short, these anti-vax protests, are, I think, can be fairly described as uh, they're a far-right movement now. You know, Tom Tanneke has done extensive coverage on the fact that there were people and factions within the anti-vax movement who attempted to weed out some of the more horrible far-right messaging. But if you look at almost any of the, like, Telegram channels that these people are talking about, like, there's so much conversation about the Jewish question and other fucked, like, anti-Semitic conspiracies and shit like this. Like, it's just, it's rife. This, this is just absolute catnip for the far-right. My point is... <laughs> The left has really that? been able to mount an effective uh, counter to this 
rising of the far right, you know, this this kind of, you know, if you want to call it populist, I don't know, because there are still a fairly small percentage of the population, but whatever. Well, it must be, right? Given the Given that almost everybody rates. else is vaccinated yeah. and uh, most people aren't Nazis. Yeah, in numbers terms. Though I don't know how the other states are going. My friend said that Queensland wasn't looking great. Yeah, I mean, the, num- the numbers are, uh, in general, Australia is, I think, well, I mean, we've passed the 80%, you know. Oh. Nationally. Hmm. Uh, oh, God, I think that's true. Uh, roast think, me in the comments I if that's maybe, not. Um, yeah, maybe. He's doing a quick Google. Okay. What percentage of Australians are fully vaccinated? <laughs> oh, my God. He didn't go a single typo. He's so good at typing. No, this isn't going to give you a clear answer. It's going to be 82.8% of people age 16 and over are double vaccinated. Age 16 and over is bullshit. News! News! Baby! I got it right. Yeah, you but age 16 and over is bullshit. (laughs) Well, maybe so, but that's the number that everybody's been using. Why aren't everyone's babies vaccinated is what I want to know. They're already in the hospital. That is a good point. Hmm. And look... We we are fully. We, I mean, sometimes we're a podcast not. that fully supports everybody getting vaccinated, regardless of age, as long as it's healthful for you. There's numbers for twelve and up as well elsewhere. Anyway, my point is <laughs> that lockdowns have lifted. Most fucking people are vaccinated now. Counter rallies are back on. It's a thing. And next Saturday, twentieth of November, the campaign against racism, fascism are holding protests called Stop the Far Right, and they're holding them in Sydney, they're holding them in Melbourne, in Brisbane, and in Perth, and we just want to really encourage you to get along, uh, if you can. And obviously, you know, don't beat yourself up about it too much if you won't be there because you had a pre-planned birthday trip and won't be in town and feel like a total hypocrite for promoting an event you won't even be attending on your podcast, and then let that in turn turn into a generalized feeling of inadequacy and being a total imposter, because that would be totally unproductive. By the way, everyone should wish Zach a very happy birthday. He just turned 30. Yay! Thanks. Thanks, ha- Ollie. Happy birthday. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yes, so at the risk of, of uh, sounding like um, a total hypocrite, I won't be there, but you should absolutely go if you can. You did some work with Calf, though. Did I did. I went stuff. postering. I put up posters for them. You did. And uh, maybe we can get into my my calf thoughts and feelings another day, but now is not the time. Now is the time to support calf. (laughs) Critical support for calf. Please go to these rallies if you aren't going on a birthday trip or have some other um, very good reason for not being there. Um, Yeah, it's important and there's going to be more of them and uh, we need to show up and show these far-right fuckheads that the streets don't belong to them. Yeah. All I'm right. Make you think. You're not going to do this no broken clock. No broken clock. No broken clock this week. Sorry. Didn't 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 Cata break the clock? Uh oh yeah. Bob Catter said. Okay. Say what yes. you will about Pauline. Cory Bernardi's right about this. You know point. you have to hand it to ISIS. I don't normally agree with Channel Seven. Uh, Bob Catter says the government suggested voter ID laws are racist against Indigenous people. Yeah, that's it. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. Oh, I forgot to check if we got any new reviews. Um, <laughs> Let's look it up. 
follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow our page on Facebook. Uh, we are Ozpol Snack Pod across everything. Uh, and if you really like what we do and you want to support us financially, please go over to patreon.com slash ozpolsnackpod. Chuck us as little as $1 a month to get a monthly bonus episode, plus other cool shit at higher levels. You can join our Discord and chat to us about what food we're eating and um, other slightly more relevant stuff. Uh, if you don't want to or can't support us financially, but you do want to show us some love, uh, we would really appreciate a review over on Apple Podcasts, uh, a rating and a review. And let me be specific about this. We would like you to give us a good review and a good rating. Uh, we received this week our first ever one-star review, <gasps> which has brought our average down from five to a 4.9. And I just want to say to that person who left us the one-star rating, the least you could do is leave us a review yeah. so that we can go over it in forensic detail on the show Instead of just leaving, clicking the one-star uh, button and running away like a fucking coward. I'm anyway, sorry. That is... That's yellow-bellied shit. Absolute yellow-bellied shit. So, you know, if it was an accident, that's okay. We it's still like cowardly. you. Just change that rating, come back, it's all good. We've had people change their ratings in the past. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've had people bump us up a star. And you could be the next person to do that, you know. Uh, if you haven't left us a review, please go and leave us a good one. We'd we'd love that because we've just had our average bumped down. Mm. You know, we I don't want to feel know like if a four point ever... nine star podcast. Is this a like, you know, is it a is it an enter slash ATAR situation? Like now that you, you can't get it back up to five once I don't been... know, I don't but know. surely you can because there's been not five stars before. Well, no, we had a three star and they bumped us up to a four. So, yeah, so okay, what I'm yeah, saying sure. is, yeah, exactly. Okay. Look, I don't know. I don't know how Oof. it works. but Maths um, is difficult. But, you know, if you like us, help us out. Show this one star fuckhead that, hey, nah, actually, these guys are cool anyway. Oh. Now it's time for a pop game. Oh, I forgot to say, go and follow, uh, go, go and watch Noon's Twitch stream, uh, <laughs> twitch.tv slash Noon Plays Games, I believe. Uh, but yes, pop date. Uh, Holly, uh, Dante did something fucked last week. Did, did he? Yeah. Remember when we went out for Oh, it was the birthday? first time we'd gone out, like the two of us at the same time for, you know, more than like half an hour. We, you know, it's been locked down, but we went to we a birthday did friends, a birthday friend, a friend's birthday dinner. And uh, I guess we were out of the habit of what you're supposed to do, which of course, one of those things is hide literally every bit of garbage in the house from him stashed mm-hmm. it in the toilet uh, you got to do that before you leave it's very important the bathroom not the literal toilet that would be ridiculous uh so we forgot to do that and we came home and it was probably one of the worst you know anyone the- that's had a dog or seen dog videos knows that knows that dogs can strew garbage better than anyone and it was maybe the worst that he's ever done like the the easily, full lids. easily his worst garbage adventure. Well, you weren't there that night several years ago, that fateful Christmas, where I came home from getting fucked on Christmas night with my friends. It was great. You were in New South Wales, and uh, he had strewn all the. I had made some kind of like noodle salad, and he'd like eaten the noodle salad, and <laughs> the the it was the the garbage was 
very far around because we had that open plan house back then so he could really it was covered and then the next day he vomited up all his plastic bags that he ate that's right yeah yeah well in this in yeah this latest iteration he did he got garbage all throughout the kitchen all throughout the living room and all throughout the dining room i let the bin like the the lids of the bins like like, were were very far away the compost bin and the regular bin so it was garbage everywhere. And Holly the and I compost come is home. the killer. That was really that was nasty. It's really sad. We'd been out for for dinner for a friend's birthday. You know, first outing together for a while. We came home fairly. Uh, you know, it was like three in the morning. How did you describe had... Tim Smith? Sozzled. Sozzled. We were sozzled. Yeah, we were. Tim... We'd we, been out we on the fire. We thoroughly Tim Smithed ourselves. We, we, <laughs> we were fully marinated. A couple of fu- fully marinated pickles, sort of rolling home, covered in schmutz. At Pretty three, good spirit. Three in the morning, feeling good, and then opening the door and it just being literally a carpet of fucking garbage. The yeah. entire bottom story of the house, and and both of us basically just having to like scoop up piles of wet trash, mm. you know. But all we wanted to do is like you know eat a piece of toast and go to bed. Anyway, yeah. he was shooting paper towels. For well, the that was, and that was the yeah. That's the kicker. He was yeah. literally just pooing garbage. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he didn't vomit this time. No. Did he? It all came out the other end. Yeah. Yeah. So that, which, which is the good end and the end that it's supposed to be. Yeah. So I guess the that's more manageable a end. happy ending. Take it where you can get it. Yeah. Um, in these times. He's disgusting and really awful. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> all right. I reckon that'll do it uh, for this week. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Bob, and filling oh, in. We really appreciate it. I hope it was okay. I think, <laughs> I think you did a great job. Thanks, you know? You you came in with no news preparation. I particularly uninformed this week. It's been, you know, it's been hectic. As I said, it's a mess. It's yeah, a mess right now. It is. It is. But no, I think you did a great job. I'm sure we're going to get uh, people he's a asking really supportive you, asking partner, everyone. For, you, for more Holly, you know, hmm. Holly by the and handful. if not, just don't tell me. Yeah. Don't leave us a one-star review if you didn't like this episode. I swear to God, she's not regular. Yeah, I'll never come on it again. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Uh, Noon and I will be coming back to you, hopefully, together next week. Again, not for a regular episode because of aforementioned um, pre-existing birthday trip. But Noon and I are thinking that we're going to come back to you with part two of Jokes and Joys. Gina Reinhardt's very, very limited edition joke book. We believe that we are one of as little as eight people. We are one of little as eight people, quick maths, who own jokes and joys. That's the sexiest thing you've ever said about yourself. Yeah, I I, I think that, you know, this is something special that we can bring to the people. And um, (laughs) there's been this article going around, you know, about um, Australia having fucked up billionaires. And it sort of opens oh. with, like, you might know that Gina yeah. Reinhardt destroys the planet for fun. But also, did you know that she fucking paid to have a book of memes she stole from Facebook printed in Singapore? Um, and I thought, hey. If I was a billionaire, I would self-publish a, a book of really shitty memes, probably. <laughs> well, you know. Or something. I will self-publish the, something, We've got sure. the proof, you know, it, the proof is in the pudding. That is exactly what would happen, because <laughs> it is what happen anyway so we're thinking we'll come back to you with that rather than a news show next week uh but there was so much news this week you don't want it again hopefully this can tide you over you know i'm sure if you give noon a ring he'll just talk to you about climate change policy uh gladly for minutes at a time have Uh, you thought about uh having as a tier like on the patreon like 
receiving those one minute voice memos from like on a subject that's a that's actually quite a good idea or you know go and watch noon's twitch stream if you need something to tide you over anyway thank you very much for tuning in uh we'll catch you next week for probably not a regular news show but until then keep on snacking in the free world crunch crunch